Hello, everybody. It's your host, Liam Collins. And I'm Jordy, the host of Beers with Queers, a true crime podcast. And we're here to remind you all that part two of the Robert Wone murder case is out now on Beers with Queers. You can find the rest of this story wherever you get your podcasts. Now, we know we left you all hanging big time last week, so pause and go finish that case off if you haven't yet. But if you're all caught up, here's your next episode of Crime Over Wine. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 38th episode of Crime Over Wine, the only podcast with head-scratching true crime stories that are just better over a bottle of wine. I'm your host, Liam Collins, and this week, my guest co-host is a California girly transplanted right here to Chattanooga, and girl, she's a whole entire fiance. (laughs) My guest co-host this week is Cornelia Nicholson. Hello, Cornelia. Hi, Liam. Yes, I am now a fiance. Thank you for the Whoa. wonderful intro. <laughs> yes. Uh, so for those of you who like don't live on the internet, like Cornelia and um, her and her fiance's um, Riley's uh, f- uh, engagement blew the heck up. Um, literally out at, of like, nowhere. Less than a week. Out of nowhere. The at, like literally like less than a week from when we're talking right now. So like she's like not only a fiance, but she's like a hashtag famous fiance too. So it Just is like bit. the sweetest thing. So go look it up. Um, go look up on, her, up on all of Cornelia's social media posts because it is yeah. like such a cute little little, little moment that you guys had. I'm so happy for you guys. Thank you, Liam. Thank you. Of course. Um, So, like, let's celebrate with some wine. Why don't we? I'm so excited for this. So, this week we are drinking Capostaldo's. I hope I'm saying that right. Pinot Grigio. (laughs) It's an Italian white, a refreshing and versatile white wine with the taste of the Italian hills in every glass. It has aromas of apple and pear and a clean, crisp palate and a mineral finish. Mineral finish. That's like I'm feeling like like smooth, like, like you're just yeah. further down kind of it's vibe. Sm- I just opened it. It smells really good. Yeah, let's see. So I've been letting mine breathe for a little bit. I usually don't, but I okay. decided this week was the week I was going to let it breathe. Um, we mostly do that. Okay. because I was like, I just don't want to wait one single extra second because I had a long day at work. So <laughs> yeah, no, okay. I just took mine out the fridge, so it's chilled. Ooh, apple. That's really good. Apple. Yes. Perry. Yeah. Mm, and also clean, very crisp fruity. palette, mineral finish. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And not too of a like harsh, like strong. I know no. some wines are extremely bitter. But this isn't bitter, and it's not extremely sweet either. <laughs> I literally so it's funny, so funny because you and Jeremiah Beatty, who was on episode three before this podcast, are the only two people who I, who I know who describe any wine as bitter. Um, just for the record, like, and I've pieced this all together over time. When when they say bitter, they do mean like a dry wine, like they mean like a very yes. dry wine. Um, yeah. So if that tells you anything about you know where Cornelia's palate is, I suppose she's right up there with with Jeremiah. I suppose. Yeah, which I did talk to Jeremiah about the wine too, and she was telling me about her wine from from. From the last episode. Yes. So, yes, we're very much on the same page. Y'all are on the same page for sure. No, but I like this one. I do think, um, again, I, I, I hear what you're saying about, like, it not being like very it's you know fruity and that kind of stuff but it's mm-hmm. not like like sweet like you would think uh, like as like exactly. a, as like a as you know a fruity kind of wine it's, mm-hmm. it's very subtle mm-hmm. kind of flavors and so mm-hmm. if you still like your like this is a dry fruity wine for sure which is again feels kind of like like antithetical to say but if that's what you're interested in here we are yeah it's very middle of the road yeah. i would say like it's not it's not gonna be a strong like red type of wine and it's not gonna right. be a like very fruity, like fruit forward wine. It's yeah. very much 
it's like a Pinot Grigio. Yeah, you know? it's like a Pinot Grigio. Hey, you know what? It's almost like it <laughs> is a Pinot Grigio. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Cornelia, I have so much to talk about for this. So Ooh. let's, this case is crazy. It's a ride and I want to just dive right into this. So are you ready for this? Let's do it. I have no idea what we're going to talk about and I'm excited to hear about it. Awesome. So Cornelia, this week I want to tell you about an unsolved case that's almost a hundred years old. I'm about to tell you so much detail about this case, but I'm going to put out a trigger warning for everyone who listens, like waiting for the resolution to the very, very end. There is none here. But I promise you, you are still going to want to hear all about this, every single detail. So this week, I want to tell you all about Stephen Melky and the blindfolded car crash. It was a snowy early morning in St. Joseph County, Indiana, right around South Bend. William Joyce was driving around 3 in the morning on December 22, 1939, on a highway between South Bend and Mishawaka, Indiana. The snow was heavy, that real thick December snow in the Midwest. It was dark. William could really see only just a few feet ahead of him. He was driving really carefully, though, right, like all Midwesterners do in December, William was certainly used to being in this kind of position, but before he knew it, wham, he hit what he knows right away was a person. Right away, William knows this guy must be in bad shape. It was a really rough crash. He stops the car and gets out to render aid to him. He runs to the man unconscious on the side of the highway, about 40 feet from where he was hit by William's car. That's insane. I would be so scared if I hit someone in the middle of snow. And then to get out of the car and have to check on this person. Yeah. I don't know what he could have been thinking. How like Yeah, no danger stitch. Yeah. yeah. You don't do, you don't get out. <laughs> yeah, right, true. Well, like also like, you know, growing up in New York, right? Like I mm. know this kind of snow. Like I know like, you know, when it's simply just like like you're seeing just as far mm-hmm. as the headlights will take you mm-hmm. and it's not that far. Mm-hmm. So like this is like a real like I just I can like feel like what this is like. Yeah. Like not that you would California yeah, girl, uh, but you like, know. you know, I but, <laughs> but you know. But you know, so so point being is like I can like the, imagine the, the, I'm the environment here yeah, yeah right like i'm feeling very tense like you know and then all of a sudden it's like whoa like where did that come from like this is mm-hmm. like like just because you can't see anything and so at the last second it's like there's right. a person and you don't have it all happens so fast yeah right that's terrifying yeah exactly well, you know, William, you know, quickly realizes that there's a lot of weird things going on here. And we're going to come back to that a little bit later on. So hold that for a second. But he realizes that this guy is in way worse shape than he ever could ever be any sort of help at all for him. So he gets back into his car, drives to a telephone and calls 911 again, way before, you know, t- uh, cell phones or anything. Wow. And actually, I think even before 911, he's just calling like the nearest police uh, uh, department. Yeah, exactly. So when police arrive around 3.30, they see a truly bizarre scene. Again, like what I was just describing to you. Mm-hmm. Yes, what is clearly the scene of a car crash, but it looks like so much more than just that. This guy looks bad. He's drifting in in and out of consciousness and clearly has several broken bones but the truly strange thing has nothing to do with his injuries at all this guy is missing a shoe has his hands 
tied behind his back and rope around one of his ankles, the one that does still have his shoe on his foot. Along with all of that, the guy has tape around his eyes and his mouth. And when they take the tape off, they notice something else lodged in his mouth. It's a handkerchief with red lipstick on it. Where did this guy come from? Because what was he? It it sounds like he had been kidnapped and like held in a basement, tied up somewhere, tortured. Mm -hmm. But then the red lipstick makes me think, was it a woman? You know, Mm -hmm. that like it was it could be like some weird kinky thing that they were like role playing that went wrong. Yeah, true. You know, so maybe that's crazy. I if I hit someone and I saw that. (laughs) I would not know. Right. Like, uh, right. Well, so, and so, and somehow, and again, this is like during the times of handkerchiefs. So like, I don't know how they're able to figure this out, but like maybe they're, they're clearly much more familiar with them than I am right now. Um, but they were able to to determine that the handkerchief was a man's handkerchief, interestingly enough. Um, but again, but still red lipstick. So like you imagine that like, you know, Something. male woman, you know, yeah. mingling, I suppose. It right? just makes it more interesting to find out that it's a man's handkerchief with a woman's red lipstick right. on it. Like, what happened? Yeah. And does, like, the handkerchief belong to this dude? Does it belong mm-hmm. to somebody else? Which, like, there's no way, there's no, like, handkerchief registry, yeah. right? So, like, you're never going to be able to figure <laughs> that out. But, like, it, like it's it's just, like, that's where, like, all of my questions start mm-hmm. swirling at this point. Yeah. Because, like, to your point, though, like, regardless of, you know, the, like, uh, like the context here, right? Yeah. Like, clearly something was going on. And then he was just dropped off, like, literally in the middle of nowhere on, like, on the side of this highway, right? And... Or, like, somehow ended up here. So, And it's yeah. just William's luck that he just happened happened to be right. driving when this man is in the middle of the road i would like why me right well, of all the like of all the yeah. drivers why me right yeah no not no not a bad thought at all so you know police take the man to the hospital where he is treated for multiple broken bones including in his neck some internal bleeding and hemorrhaging and severe trauma to his chest legs but the efforts are no good he dies shortly after he arrived to the hospital that's crazy because now i feel like all the information of like what happened to him and how he got into the shape is now gone because he passed away. So yeah, how are we going to find out? Yeah. Well, he's like surely the only person, right. That like really knows what 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 happened on and like would be truthful about it. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, to be clear though, William is not arrested. Police decide pretty early on that this was truly just an accident, but his injuries make it really difficult. Like you're just talking about kind of Mm -hmm. their Cornelia to determine how they were inflicted. Sure. The injuries are like totally consistent with a high speed collision, but because of that collision, they can't tell if there were any injuries inflicted on this guy before this crash. And that's problematic, you know, clearly, because, you know, this guy was going through something before he was hit by a car and died. And without a clear scope of his injuries, it's really difficult to see what exactly happened to this man. Yeah, because I wonder how fast was William going? Because if you say he's a very cautious driver, and as you know, you've driven in the snow in New York, and I've driven in Montana, you're not going very fast because you don't want to die yourself Mm -hmm. by skidding off the road or sliding (laughs) on ice. So I'm like, I, it's probably for sure that not all of his injuries were from this car accident that like, I'm sure he has Mm -hmm. some, but I feel like majority are from whatever happened 
yeah. And two, to be clear, like, this is like, like, you know, not, again, 1930s, right? So, like, the technology is not super advanced. I wonder if today they would be able to pinpoint that mm. a little bit more precisely mm-hmm. about, like, okay, like, you know, we were able to figure out that he was that he was more than likely hit on this side, and yet he has, like, injuries on this mm-hmm. side, right? So, like, like, so it's kind of like, you know, technology. lack of benefit of technology, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So it's just kind of unfortunate, I guess, that, that this the situation that he... later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that feels weird to say, but like, we'd probably know a lot more if it did. Yeah. Okay, so Liam, who even is this guy, though? Do we know who he was? Well, really good question, Cornelia. So police are able to identify this guy, actually. He is 44-year-old Stephen Melky, a widowed rubber worker and father of three, originally from Hungary. And so now police have to track down Stephen's family, his three kids age 18, 14, and 8, to tell them that their other parent had also just died very suddenly. Mm, And that's super tragic since they already lost their mom and to now know your dad passed away, but not only that he passed away, that there was a weird circumstances that he was tied yeah. up, blindfolded, moused up with a handkerchief. That That's going to be really hard for his kids to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want, like, I'm interested to know, you know, how did they yeah. take it, what they say. Yeah, well, and they're, like, super young, too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, man. But, you know, when police do end up finding Stephen's kids, they tell investigators that they didn't even know that their dad had left the house. That's all happened in the middle of the Whoa. night. Whoa. They say that the night before, their dad had been studying a home correspondence source in the hopes of becoming a foreman at his manufacturing company. They said that, you know, they believe he went to bed around 11 the night before. And again, the only time that they knew that Stephen had even left the home was when police showed up at their house and woke them up to tell them that he had been hit by a car and died at the hospital. That is so strange. They didn't even know their dad left the house. I... I have right. to pour more wine because this is getting really good now. Yeah, it's I'm like juicy. I need, I need a refill. Month. Right, and like true, like again, like g- like good point there. And like I guess I'm wondering, like first thought is like, okay, how much detail did they tell them? Because like mm-hmm. in reality, like the only thing that they need to know, right, is like he got hit by a car and died. Like I'm yeah. sure that they said, you know, we're looking into the circumstances. Some circumstances, mm-hmm. yeah. Like there's some weird things going on, but like they don't need to know right that like the they're nitty-gritty that, details the, especially yeah. one of them is eight years old i could not right. imagine one losing my already losing my mom at whoever knows how what age the child was but then to lose your right. dad at eight on top of the weird circumstances around what happened to him i'm assuming they probably didn't tell the child you know how we found their dad but yeah i hope that, not, that's please. insane yeah really insane Well, police ended up searching Stephen's home for any kind of evidence, but they don't find much. When they arrived, the front door was shut normally, you know, as they would expect it to, and there was no sign of a struggle or forced entry. So police decide that the evidence that was going to piece together this whole case was going to be at the scene of the crash. Hello, Crime Over Wine listeners. I am Rachel. And I'm Heather. We are the hosts of Like Mother, Like Murder. We bring you the good, the badass, and the crime. Each week, we bring you stories from missing and murdered to survivors and women who empower you. And of course, some mom talk sprinkled in. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts at Like Mother, Like Murder. And give us a follow on social media so that we can say hi. 
Okay, love you. Bye. Okay, love you. Bye. All right, Miss Nagel, <laughs> um, soon to be soon to be married, married name. Um, tell me all about how, uh, how are you liking your wine? How's everything going? Like I said at the beginning, it's so good. It's so smooth. I, okay, I was gonna say I thought I was half white, but I'm I'm about to be close <laughs> because it's so good. And usually, there's only yeah. so, you know there's certain wines that you can kind of drink fast like that, where like this is so good, sure. I want more. Or there are some that are like this yeah. is really strong. You gotta sip it. This is like in sure. between. Like like I said earlier, this is yeah. very in between. Yes, very good. I can sip it without having to like I want to chug it, but it's not like mm-hmm. too strong where okay, don't don't get a mouthful. That makes sense. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, I feel like, because normally with whites, like, it's, like, you know, my social Mm -hmm. wine, right? Like, I want to be able to, like, be having, like, the girls Mm -hmm. over, like, be doing, like, a little, like, you know, chit-chat night. This, I'm feeling very much so, like, opposite. Like, I feel like I could really enjoy this. Like like with a night and yes. like with some like housewives in the TV with Bowl like of popcorn. music playing with like my favorite podcast <laughs> like that kind of stuff. Yes. So I'm like no I'm I I really I feel I'm getting very relaxed yes. from this which I am very so much. They're like a cute night in lights lights yes. low dim the lights if you have a fireplace yes. turn the fireplace on Ooh. you know what I mean. Walk around in a robe oh. if you have one. Just very... <laughs> Girl, can we cut this podcast short? Like, you're giving me all sorts of ideas. I'm, like, ready. It's the wine. It's the wine. <laughs> it is the wine. It is the wine for sure. Well, on that note, let's move on to the, to the rest of this case. That way we can get to yes. that. So, because I'm ready for it. So, um, back to Steven. So, back at the scene of this accident, investigators are looking around to find anything that could paint the picture of what happened leading up to Steven's death. And and what they find actually helps a lot. They find a set of footprints made in the snow leading from the highway back to the woods. Now, somehow police are able to figure out that this trail was made by someone wearing only one shoe, which police say was likely Stephen. Mm. The trail led to a spot about 140 feet away from where Stephen was hit, where it looked like he had been sitting down or lying down. So this led investigators to believe that he was able to free one one of his legs from the ropes in this spot that were binding his ankle, but he was only able to do that by taking off one of his shoes. But that wasn't all in the area. That's not all they find. In the snow, police also find the tracks near where they believe Stephen was able to free his ankles. Investigators believe that this spot was where whoever was driving that car dropped him off in the woods after kidnapping him through the tracks. They believe that they dropped Stephen off, backed up, and drove away. That was a lot. That was a lot. Wow. Okay, so first off, he was dropped off in the snow and had to take his shoe off to unbind himself and then walked towards Mm -hmm. the highway. And then that's where, obviously, he got hit by William. Right. That is insane. And so I just want to know why they just dropped him off and left him. We're like, bye. Yeah. Pretty much. Right. And like, who knows why? Yeah. Right. And like, I have a couple of different theories about why. So like, maybe hold that thought a little bit because I'd love to hear where your okay. thoughts are on that. Um, well, you know, interestingly, though, that's not all Cornelia. So I see you're taking another sip of wine because I think you're going to need gonna that. Need so near Stevens Trail that led to this highway where he eventually lost his life is another set of footprints that are practically parallel to Stevens. Okay. So somebody was walking with him. That. Right. 
Right. Okay, so so what does this mean? Well, when investigators see this, they believe, like you're believing here, Cornelia, that there was likely someone following Stephen the night he was killed by the car. They think that it's likely that someone was trying to make sure that he walked right out into the highway and possibly even pushed him in front of William's car that night. Whoa, okay. That's a turn of events. That That's new information. You know, there is a lot of conflicting reporting on this, though. It's also possible that this was, like, a total coincidence. Basically, I saw some reporting, and again, conflicting reporting, that suggested that this second set of footprints was too packed to have been made at the same time as Stevens. Like, I guess they were, like, a different consistency, meaning that it's possible that no one actually followed Stephen that Mm. night, and that he was actually just kidnapped, dumped in the woods, possibly with the intention of having him freeze to death in the Midwestern December winter then Stephen freed his ankles but was unable to free his hands and therefore unable to remove the tape from his eyes and from his mouth Stephen then stumbled his way out of the woods and walked toward the highway and eventually got hit and killed by a car okay that does make a lot of sense because if you can't see you know where you're walking and you're just walking blindly you don't know you're walking in front of a car sure but I do have two thoughts there like one you can still hear the car and so I don't really fully understand how that Mm -hmm. happens i guess but like i don't know maybe it's snowing so like i'm sure it's quieter but and like maybe you hear it kind of but like don't know what's coming right yeah that's what i'm thinking maybe he didn't know how close he was to the car or that the car that he was standing you know on the highway because maybe he thought okay i hear the highway but i'm Mm -hmm. not on the highway. And, like, maybe even, like, to that point, too, like, like good point there, um, because maybe even, like, wa- like intentionally walking toward the highway to, like, try to get help. Yeah. And, like, didn't realize that nobody could see mm-hmm. him. And, like, didn't know he was standing in the middle yeah. of the road. because maybe, obviously, he's blindfolded, so he doesn't see how maybe thick the snow is or the mist or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, what happens when it snows. So he doesn't know that people right. aren't going to be able to see you clearly because of how, right. you know, foggy it is outside and then mm-hmm. got hit by a car. Right. Yeah. Right. And I also have some thoughts about this, like, second set of footprints, too, because I, like, the more I thought about it, I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me, and here's why. Um, Because if, so so first off, like, if they truly did lead this person out to the, to the, you know, highway, like, where do they go from there, Mm -hmm. right? Like, where, like, like, where are the footprints, like, running away from the scene? Like, why didn't William see, see this other person? Mm -hmm. Um, And second of all, like, why dump them so far away to then follow them? Like, why not just, like... Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. that, like, it just doesn't feel right to me. And do the footprints just stop from there? Because they're saying, like, if, if you yeah. know. I never saw anything that, like, suggested where they went from mm-hmm. there. Unless they, like, walked them back, mm-hmm. I guess. Like, you know, but, like, still then. But still, like, the way I see that all that playing out, right, is, like, so, like, he is, like, Stephen gets hit by a car. William jumps out to help them. And then, like, you're, like, carefully tracing your steps back to, like, mm-hmm. make sure that, like, there are no. No other sets. Yeah, right. Like, I don't know. Unless it's, like, that dark, which it is, like, Indiana. Yeah, December yeah, 1930s. Like, maybe it's that dark. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, man. I don't... I'm not feeling yeah, that Yeah, I'm like... And so when they mean by packed, like, the the snow is so packed in, because when I heard that, I'm like, is it that this person maybe came first, like, decided, okay, this is how we're going to pull the car up, you know, potentially lead him this way, and then, like, they they mapped it out first and then did it? See, I I truly... I truly don't think that the other set of footprints are related at all. Oh. I really don't. Because the way that I, the way that I, um, you know, am hearing this, right, is, like, packed with snow, mm-hmm. right? So, like, the way, I, like, you know, because, like, if there are footprints and, like, more snow comes, like, that's, yeah. like, that's how I that's see that. That's what I'm thinking, right? too. So, like, you can tell, 
yeah. So, like, I don't know. I just... Like, these may just have been old footprints from someone else who just happened to be walking... Maybe. ...in that wooded area at time. I think so. Yeah. I think that, like, the only th- that's the only thing that makes any sort of sense to me, honestly. Because if they were made the same time, if, if, if there was someone walking with him, then they would look the same amount. But it sounds like these are an older set of prints. Right. And it just so happens. Right. They would look the same. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that they're where he was walking to. Yeah. And, like, like too, like, so there's, like, this, like, like the way that it's been described is, like, that he was, like, dropped off and or, like, walked through, like, this culvert area. And, like, the, um, like, the tracks were, like, next to the culvert. I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna need you to explain what a culvert is for me. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. It's, like, it's, like, a little divot, like, divot thing. It's, like, uh, like, let me, like, I'll show okay. you a picture. Hold on. Oh, okay. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Yeah, yeah, just like a little like, I don't know, I want to say like divot or whatever, but a little channel underneath the bridge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like think like, again, for people, yeah, if you can't look it up right now, a drain kind of thing, like a sewer system, you've seen them a bajillion and a half times, I'm sure. But it basically it's like, like you see them a lot, like on the sides of on the sides of roads, right? So like makes sense what we're talking about here. Well, all of that obviously begs a really obvious question, right, Cornelia? Who would have possibly done this? Get ready for that big test with Study.com. Study.com offers learning materials and test prep, even LSAT study prep guides for all of my legal nerds listening. Unfortunately, there aren't any wine study guides, and believe me, I did check. Listeners can get 30% off their first three months of any subscription level using the promo code CRIMEOVERWINE. Again, that's promo code CRIMEOVERWINE, no spaces, for 30% off your first three months at Study.com. Learn faster, stay motivated, study smarter with our sponsor, Study.com. Just a little while after Stephen's death, police detain and question three different people in connection to this whole incident. The first two are 27-year-old Birdie DeVos and 28-year-old Alan Polomsky. They are engaged together. Birdie is a waitress at the local tavern, and Alan is a coal driver. Now, Birdie and Alan have both known Stephen for a while. Stephen was a frequent customer at the tavern, and over time, he and Birdie had developed a pretty close friendship. I never saw if they ever got like intimate or romantic necessarily but it's kind of implied in this case because Alan really did not like Stephen's relationship with Birdie at all they had apparently gotten into multiple fistfights and verbal altercations together over Birdie's attention and Alan and Stephen were seen fighting right before Stephen died okay well that that gives me a lot of clues as to maybe what happened because right. I feel like we can typically, I don't know, off of that information, we can kind of, all right, they were fighting, fist fighting. Obviously, everybody wanted Birdie's attention. Alan didn't like it because that's his woman. And here comes Steven, you know, just some customer smoozing up to his woman. And he's right. like, what are you doing? Mm, and maybe maybe the fist fight got taken too far one day. And, but, but, okay, now that leads me back to the lipstick. Man's handkerchief and lipstick. So, I don't know. Sips wine. Gotta sip my wine. 
<laughs> True. But no, really good point though, Cornelia, because the because that's again, like like when I first saw the handkerchief, male handkerchief, red red lipstick, obviously what we were talking about, you know, I thought of, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, um Bonnie and Clyde type situation, right? Like I saw like, you know, the like relationship together, like conspired together, killed the dude. So these two are looking pretty good to me, you know, in my personal opinion. Really suspicious at this point. Yeah, real suspicious. Well, unfortunately, though, for us, maybe anyways, then, you know, maybe not for them. But Bertie and Alan give an alibi to police. And in my opinion, it's like a really bad one. But like, okay. Bertie and Alan both said that they were at the tavern all night after they left. Bertie said that Alan dropped her off around 3.30 in the morning. And then Alan went home himself. Police bring them in and give them both a lie detector test, and they both passed, and they were both released without being given any charges. So it's kind of suspicious because they're both their own alibi. They're both each other's alibi. So, of course, it's going to work out for them because, oh, yeah, Alan's my alibi. Oh, yeah, Bertie's my alibi. But Right. Maybe they could have been together. Well, like, like worst alibi in the world. And let mm-hmm. me tell you why. Because, like, again, if you remember, like, this all happened at 3 o'clock in the morning, right? And, like, they openly admitted to being, like, like out in the world, mm-hmm. right? At, like, mm-hmm. around that time. Like, because they mm-hmm. both said this, this, that they, they went home at 3.30 in the morning. Yeah. And, like, like you said, like, yeah, like, if they were in this together, like, like they, like, you're just going to, like, like, put them under a lie detector test. And yeah. And be like... Like, yeah, like, you know, we're okay. Like, that's just... 3.30 a.m. is a a late time to be getting home. That's what I'm saying. And not be suspicious. So it's weird that cops are like, good to go. No, no issues here. But you said there was a third person. Well, right. There is Cornelia. His name is George Smith. And he worked with Stephen at the rubber plant. And he had also been known to have had a close relationship with Birdie. And was also seen multiple times fighting with Stephen over Birdie's attention, too. Police in Mishawaka, India, which was the original agency William called after he hit Stephen with his car, had apparently been made aware previously of Stephen's run-ins with Alan and George over his interactions with Birdie, and according to archive reporting in the South Bend Tribune, that was the reason that they had started looking at all three of them to begin with. I, I, Birdie must be a looker because she has all these men like coming after her. She's got all this attention, and who knows, there could be like 10 other men, all of her other customers that are like yeah. after her too. But wow, he, Stephen is just fighting with everyone. Over Birdie. Yeah. This is insane. And she is very pretty. She is very pretty. I don't know if she's worth killing over. Yeah, I think that's a little excessive. Um, But I'm sure she was gorgeous because she has to be if all these men are literally fist fighting each other for her and potentially committing murder. murder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I never saw anything about an alibi from George, but he Mm. was also brought in for a lie detector test, and he also passed and was also released without charges. Ultimately, despite these, like, obvious motivations and obvious opportunities to kill Stephen, investigators never charged any of them with anything related to Stephen's kidnapping or his death. Police even said that they were able to compare everyone's tires to the tracks found in the woods, and they said that they were not a match, which supported their decision not to charge them. I don't know. I need I need a new police department to investigate this because yeah, I don't like I don't like this. It just it doesn't seem I feel like there's multiple suspects who seem very likely to have done this and that like maybe just a little more digging could have uncovered something because it just they all seem so guilty. Even yeah. I don't know why but even Bertie because 
what were you guys doing uh-huh. out at 3 a.m. the day that he was murdered? And they were fighting that day. So it's just fishy. Yeah. No, really fishy. And yeah, and like, 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 I'm imagining again, like, I see a lot of, you know, I know a lot of bartenders, mm-hmm. you know, not to brag, <laughs> but I do. Um, and so, like, I know that they, like, those type, like, that type of person, right, is like normally out mm-hmm. at, you know, three o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday. Like, okay, yeah. sure. Like, that makes yeah. sense. Like, that's their lifestyle. So, like, I don't really, like, that doesn't really, like, click anything for me. But, like, what does click for me is, like, is this, like, time, like, lineup of, mm-hmm. of events. Uh, time, opportunity, events, motive, all these things, like, that, that, mm-hmm. you know, clicks for me 1,000%, one, 1, yeah. right? So... It's just raising a lot of red flags in my yeah, mind no, big time. that apparently didn't raise flags in the police department at the time. Right, right. Well, and, like, to, fair, to be fair, like, it did raise the red flags, right? But it just didn't pan out, I guess, in terms of charges. Because, again, like, and, like, this is bogus in my personal opinion, but, mm-hmm. like, the, that, like, they lined up the tires and you're just like, oh, not a match. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that, first of all, what does that look like? Yeah. Second of all, like, this is 1930s. Like, I'm sure that the tires weren't, like, all that crazy back mm-hmm. then. And, like, maybe they were. Maybe they were. But, like, I don't know much, that much about tires. But, like, I just kind of picture, you know, like, you know, there's only, like, you know, two or three, you know, tire manufacturers yeah. in town. So, like, I don't really... I don't get that much, but again, they said mm-hmm. it like they, it was enough to clear them. But on the other side of the t- of the coin too, like who's to say that they didn't just like borrow someone's car? Like exactly. that does not like in and of itself like just clear someone's mm-hmm. name. Like I don't really understand. Because I'm sure that they have other friends and know other people that they can say, "Hey, can I borrow right. your car?" You know, they could. There was multiple ways that they could have went about this. That just matching up the tire threads of like their current cars isn't enough. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, that is pretty much where things stand, Cornelia, to this mm. day. You know, really unsatisfying ending, but that's where we are. There are still no charges related to Stephen Melky's death. And as for Stephen's children, though, Frederick, the youngest of Stephen's children, was sent to an orphanage until he was adopted seven years later. That's horrible. Both of Stephen's older two children, Leonard and Robert, joined the military. Leonard, the middle child, died in 1943 while serving in World War II, but his remains were lost at sea. Robert, the oldest child, died in 2004 at the age of 83. Mm, Well, that's good for Robert, but it's so horrible for, like, what his kids had to go through and still have no justice as to what happened to their dad. They still, you know, well, obviously this was many, many years ago, but at the time they had no idea what happened. They had to live with that. And for the youngest son to have to be in an orphanage, that is horrible. That's a horrible ending for them. Yeah, and, like, this is, like, re-traumatizing, like, yeah. so many times, right? I mean, because, like, again, like, you, lo- you lose your mother at a-, at a young age. You lose your dad in, like, this super crazy weird way, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Leonard dies in, like, this super horrible, you know, like, way to go, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, you know, Frederick is just, like, sitting in an orphanage for seven years. Yeah, it's like, tough. Oh, man. And I, I wonder, I was going to say, I wonder why his brother, his 18-year-old brother, couldn't adopt him, but... Then I realized, you know, they both joined the military and went overseas, so they weren't around to adopt him and take care of him. Yeah, it's just a really sad situation overall in that they're... They don't have their dad and they have no idea what happened to him. I'm, yeah. I want to know what happened to him. I know. I know. I, uh, yeah, no, same. It's eating me up alive. I can't, I can't imagine what it's doing 
for them. Um, but, you know, even though there is no one around anymore to be pushing police to find the truth on this, and realistically, probably no one's still alive today who could even be charged with any crimes related to what happened to Stephen, I think Stephen, above anybody else, deserves the world to know what really happened to him that bizarre December morning. So if you know anything about the death of Stephen Melky, call the South Bend Police Department at 574-235-9201, and we're also going to put that number on our website and in our show notes as always. Yes, please call because I think you're right, Liam. Like he deserves the world the world knowing what happened to him because that's such a tragic way to go. And it sounded like he was a good man. He was just a worker at the rubber plant, like you said, right. taking care of three young boys, a widow. So he on had his own. on yeah. his own. That's a lot. And it sounds like I know, you know, we don't know him personally, his whole personality and things like that. But I think it's tragic for anyone to go that way and no justice be done in the end. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, that's like the hardest part of doing these stories, right? Is, you know, they're so important, but it's like, so, you know, again, like, you know, just like, it feels like, like that itch you can't scratch at the end of this thing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's like, like, where do we even go from here? But like, at the same time, too, like with that being said, like, that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast, right? Because I think that, you know, there are so many stories and like, sure, you know, I've heard so many times over and over and over and over and over again from people saying, you know, stop doing the, the unsolved cases like we want like you know cases that are solved so that we can have like you know a resolution like, you know, finality yeah and like like sure like i get it like i get that you know that desire and like those cases are absolutely still important um but these cases are just as if not more important because there are you mm-hmm. know real people out there who who this who needs to, who like need to have this loop closed mm-hmm. and we need to you know we need to you know be spreading the word about that and so instead of just you know using true crime as a way to you know entertain ourselves you know drinking glasses of wine at the end of the day like we really need to be able to um you know do something more with with these stories and you know and you know if i'm if we're going to be you know spending all of our time listening to true crime like we might as well you know be able to 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 you know to try to do some good at the end of this yeah. whole thing and so that's my goal i hope that's everyone's you know who's listening to this i hope that's all of your goal um so that's that's my little soapbox <laughs> i love it i think that's a very good point um i think especially with a lot of unsolved cases because maybe there could be a listener out there who may have right. a relative who was there at the time who you know may know someone that knows someone that knows someone and that you know that yeah. could help solve something so i think like you said hearing the solved cases are great but i think like cold cases and unsolved cases because we've seen that happen many a times where a cold mm-hmm. case is closed and they reopen it and they're like actually we figured out with this new technology right. what to do so keeping this story alive and telling it it may put i don't mm-hmm. want to say so i don't want to say pressure but you know just nudge the police department like yeah. you know what things have changed it's been it's been a couple of years now our technology is different let's take a look at some of mm-hmm. you know the evidence that we have and see if we can solve this with what we have because who knows maybe yeah. now with evidence the tire tracks will match or something yeah, you know what maybe. i mean yeah, with and, yeah. and who knows yeah. and that's a great point because like like again like and not to get on like a, like this whole like tangent soapbox type thing but it is important um because like with like it, all it takes is for it only takes one call it only takes one person period right it could take that one caller who again like you said you know just saw that one weird thing back in the day and they just didn't sit right with them and like now like you didn't even know that there was a crime committed but and so now that this is something and i've seen it i've heard about it 
all the time, right? Of just like, you know, you're sitting at home and you're just like, uh, you know, this doesn't feel like crazy important, but like mm-hmm. might as well. But like that could be the key that they've been waiting for mm-hmm. and just nobody knew it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, because it felt so insignificant. And then also too, like from a police perspective too, right? Like, you know, like podcasters like me, like sure, everyone like rolls their eyes about true crime podcasters. But, you know, <laughs> if it if it, you know, brings it brings it back to the top of the list for investigators, you know, all, again, all it takes is that one investigator to look at this case from a different perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Of just like a, giving a thought that nobody considered before just because nobody considered it before. Mm-hmm. And yet this guy could just like, you know, send it down a whole new avenue or girl mm-hmm. to, to investigate this thing. So you never know. Yeah, you never know. And so anyways, that's just like my little true crime soapbox because <laughs> I think that, you know, I, I really think that it's important to be able to elevate these stories because police just can't do it on their own. They need exactly. help. So thousand percent agree. Well, that is like my little soapbox for that Cornelia. So I'm just going to pause there and say <laughs> thank you so much for coming on well thank you so much for having me this was so much fun the wine was so good i think i have something i'm gonna add to my collection now (laughs) um so please text me where you got this from but um (laughs) no i this was really fun i loved hearing about i don't want to say loved but i did enjoy hearing about Mm -hmm. his story and i really do hope that eventually there could be a resolution and um you know some resolve for his his family and relatives whether they're here living or past same I feel that for sure. Well, um, tell everyone where they can find you and your work and all of your amazing fiance engagement content. Yeah. (laughs) If you want to follow our wedding planning, you can find me on Instagram (laughs) at Cornelia Nicholson TV and on Facebook at, I think it's still Cornelia Nicholson TV. Yes. You can find me there and TikTok. See Ray Nicholson on TikTok, yeah. Well, thank you again so much for coming on and thank you all so much for listening. We are going to put all of our sources on our website so you can read everything for yourself and probably come up with a few theories too. And if you are just loving this podcast and are just looking for a way to tell everyone and anyone about it, the best way to help people discover this podcast is by leaving us a five-star rating and a review wherever you are listening right now. So make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you're wondering what we have in store for you next week here's a quick sneak peek hello everybody it's liam and i'm marissa stacy i'm joining the crime vineyard next week to tell you all about a wild case that took place at dozens of fast food restaurants across the country what happens when an unknown caller tells you to do the unthinkable we will answer that question for you all next wine wednesday on another episode of crime over wine Proud member of the Podnougan Network.